I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10, to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? This is Doc Askins bringing you another Q5 podcast episode where I ask some pretty awesome people five awesome questions. They're five of my favorite questions that I use in preparation sessions for ketamine-assisted therapy. I've got Dr. Sophia Piva on the podcast with me today. She is one of the pioneers and early adapters of using low-dose ketamine in combination with psychotherapy to treat treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, PTSD, and chronic pain. Her clinic, called Propel Therapeutics, is located in Sacramento, California. Sophia, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. Thanks for the invite. Uh, it's been really nice to feel like somebody wants to hear you know, my opinions on all this. <laughs> yeah, I'm really excited to hear everything. So let's jump right in. What's your story? Uh, so my story is that I'm an anesthesiologist. And when I came out of my training, I was very energetic. I was ready to work. I went out there. I joined a private practice. And I basically burned out <laughs> in four years. I was in uh, a depressive state. I was irritable. I couldn't kind of stand my work anymore. Even though I love what I did, I just couldn't keep going to work. Um, some days I'd be driving to work thinking, oh, my gosh, is this the what I'll be doing for the rest of my life. And it just felt like wasn't, didn't feel right. And so uh, anyway, so I quit my job without any backup. I just basically gave my, my resignation. And then I kind of went on a little internal journey for a few months to try to figure out how to make myself happy. And then eventually I joined up forces with Dr. Fisher, who's a psychiatrist. And I was telling him that ketamine has been shown to have some good results with treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, PTSD. And I told him, hey, I feel very comfortable infusing this stuff. If you would like to do the psychiatric portion of it, because obviously, you know, ketamine therapy has some requirements, I think, to make it more successful than not. So then we joined forces and we opened up this little clinic and it used to be just something we would do on the side. We would like, I would go to work all day. And then after work, I would go back to the clinic and then we would do our thing for another three hours, like uh, give people ketamine therapy. And then eventually it grew into like a clinic where we created an immersive environment. And now we help hundreds of people and it's really rewarding. And it's really grown from like this tiny little idea to 
a place where I have employees and uh, also a place where I'm healing a lot of people and also taking good care of my employees. It's like a really good spot that I enjoy. I like feel very proud of it. So yeah, that's my story. It's mainly, I'm just on a, on a quest to see how I can impact the most of my lives. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what attracted you to anesthesiology in the first place, if you're willing. I'm not sure what the first thing was that did it, but when I was a young girl and I'm thinking like five or six years old, what I remember I used to do is I used to have all of these dolls and stuffed toys at home. And one of my favorite activities that I would do to all these dolls is I would line them all up. And then my grandma would also also be at the end of the line. I would go around and give all of the toys a shot. I used to have these like play doctor kits with the syringe, big syringe. So I would give them all injections. And then at the end, you know, I'd get my grandma too. She was at the end of life. So then for a long time, I used to think like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor. But, and then what kind of doctor am I going to be? I didn't know. At first I was, I thought I was going to do surgery. Uh, so at first I was going to do surgery. And then all of a sudden I decided no anesthesia is the way to go. And honestly, I feel like I made the right decision for myself. And I really enjoy it. I enjoy the work. I enjoy the interactions with the patients. I enjoy like the cerebral part of it where you're thinking through physiology and, you know, different scenarios. So, uh, yeah. Did you grow up out in Sacramento? Are you a California native? So not, well, not exactly. So I was born in Bulgaria, and in 1995, my parents got the first wave of green cards. That was Bill Clinton's administration did the green cards, so they were one of the first waves out of Bulgaria. So we came in 1995, and we were in San Diego. So technically, I've lived in California for most of my life, but not Sacramento. Sacramento, I've been here for about six years, and I love it, but it's supposed to be a big secret. You know, don't tell everyone not good here. Don't go. <laughs> but I love it. It's not the spot. Not what everybody wants. Okay. Yeah. What did your parents do? Oh, both of my parents are engineers. Okay. Problem solvers. Right on. My dad was an engineer too. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up, gave in doll shots and went into anesthesiology after deciding surgery wasn't the option. I mean, you're still in surgery and anesthesiology, but you're the one that gets to relax and sit down and monitor the patient rather than, you know, I never enjoyed my surgical assistant rotation. It seemed like the only two cool jobs in the room were being the surgeon or being the anesthesiologist. <laughs> Everybody else there is just kind of walking on eggshells trying to make sure this person doesn't die. That's pretty cool. And then you got burned out and just jumped off the plane, like just grabbed a parachute and jumped out of the hospital. That's gutsy. Like, tell me if you're willing, tell me a little more about the decision to just say, you know what, I'm out. I got to do something else with my life. I think part of it was when I started having chest pain, like in the middle of the workday. Yeah, it was really weird because my whole life I've been really fit. I'm really competitive. I have done a ton of sports uh, growing up, you know, part of being part of teams and national teams and everything. So to have chest pain, that was kind of like, oh, come on, what is this stuff? Um, and then I, eventually what I did was I got an EKG and the EKG was abnormal. And this, I think, was kind of like, oh, my God, something is happening. Like, perhaps I need to make a change. I just didn't see any future in the group that I was working with. I didn't feel that they were in the right trajectory. And I just didn't want to get sucked in even more with them. 
you know, and waste more time, if you will. So it was, it was a, yeah, it was a decision like that. And I had a really supportive spouse, of course, who was, you know, there and saying like, hey, look, financially, we're going to be okay. You can just stop and, and find something you're happy with. So I think that really helped. But I think even if that person wasn't there, I was still going to do it. It was, I don't know. I'm just like that. If I don't like something, I will change it because that's the only way, right? I mean, grass is greener where you water it, <laughs> not on the other side. Yeah, this is the way. You just do what's right. And it's a big deal to have some support, but to also just know what's right for you and to go ahead and do it is, it's not something that everybody is able to arrive at. So that's really brave. I'm really impressed about that. You mentioned kind of going on an interior journey there after deciding to grab a shoot and jump out of the anesthesiology practice plane. And then that eventually landed you in doing this sub anesthetic dosing of ketamine with your <laughs> psychiatric partner there. Can you tell me a little more about that interior journey? Well, it was just an, a reevaluation of what I value in life and what I think is important in the context of realizing that life is finite. It has an end. And so you just have to do something that you are proud of and you're happy with uh, because at the end of the day, life does end at one point. So even if you screwed up, you know, it's all going to end at some point. <laughs> so it's not a decision you have to live on Memento Mori, they say, right? Sorry, that was a little gloomy, but that's... No, that's mean. okay. Uh, you know, it's one of the seven habits of highly effective people to begin with the end in mind, right? <laughs> and they don't necessarily mean the end, the end, like the heat death of the universe <laughs> or the death of your body or whatever, but it, it is, it's still highly effective if you approach it in the right way. So I'm not feeling any gloom from you pointing out the fact that we're both, that the mortality rate remains 100% doesn't surprise me and probably not my audience either. So you moved into a place where now you had mentioned in your clinic, you're able to take care of your employees. That sounds like in a way that you were struggling to find that level of support and care in the previous place so that you're making a place for people to thrive. Is that an accurate summary or am I overreading what you'd said before? No, that's correct. Yeah. I'm very cognizant about how the people that work with us are feeling and how they're functioning because really the way that they function will be have a direct outcome to patients' outcomes. So if we're functioning well, patients uh, can read and feel that and absorb that. And I think that's important, especially in the mental health clinic. I just think there needs to be a different approach for mental health. It's not like every other business. I know that people like to put the business models into the ketamine clinics, but I think that's the wrong approach. So I'm approaching it in a different way and it seems to be working so far. It is, however, a slower approach <laughs> um, than just getting a bunch of uh, money and just opening up clinics without really caring and being thoughtful about how you create it. And being thoughtful about how you create it has a lot to do with the people that work there. That I would say is the most com important component. It's the human component. That's what that's what's needed, <laughs> in my opinion. 
Yeah, that's a beautiful fact to acknowledge. You know, when I was in physician assistant school in the military, I always joked around with my classmates that every rotation was a psychiatry rotation if you're paying attention. So we'd be in the ER and sure enough, like you're just taking care of everybody has a mind. So everybody has mental health or everybody has, you know, a soul. So they need psychological help or however you want to parse that out to recognize that everybody around you needs a certain amount of care in order to flourish from the top to the bottom or from the center out, however you think of those things. I think it's excellent that you recognize that and that you're building systems that, that acknowledge those facts of our reality. Strategic navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. I asked the first question about what's your story, and we've kind of already started to transition a little bit towards the second question, which is about what are your intentions, the story looking back at your past, the intentions looking forward at, at what you're doing in the future. You mentioned a particular way that you're doing business in your ketamine clinics. Would you be willing to expand on how you intend to carry that forward? Yeah, so... I think the idea with these clinics is that you are forming a very close relationship between yourself and the patient. And the patient is also creating a very close bond with the person that's placing their IV, the person that's setting their intention, the person that's doing their psychotherapy session. And I think with ketamine and other psychedelics, it's important to really, really appreciate the fact that people really need to feel safe in order for them to be able to let go to a level where they could do some work. And I believe that part of that, the people that interact with you is what will make you comfortable or not comfortable. So um, my idea is first off is just to get a great group of people to work together uh, that are all there for the same goal. And that is mental health. You know, you're not just there because it's a job and pays the bills, but you're there because you're actually really interested in this area. Whenever I hire people, I always make sure that this is something that they're interested in, not just like a job to make, you know, to make money. <laughs> but yeah, I think thoughtful, thoughtful growth is the best way forward. Um, I do occasionally have thought about franchising because I think that's one way to create that because whoever the fr franchisee or I guess the other person who is opening up another Propel, they'd want to be really invested in it the way that we are. I mean, they're going to want to be wanting to care of people um, and they need to be creating a team. Um, and so when they're vested like that, I think it makes it a little bit more thoughtful instead of just like somebody like me uh, telling all the different clinics how to do their job. I think it's best to have that individual with every every clinic that's how i see this thing growing i am currently gonna am working on franchising it so that's kind of what i'm thinking forward so you're setting an intention around making shared intentions with all of the folks from your patients to your collaborators to your employees and then just franchising those shared intentions towards the 
the flourishing of everybody that walks through the door is what it sounds like to me. Well, yeah, I think what we're creating is a very good protocol and a very good system about how to best give this therapy also, but in an, in an efficient way where you can help a lot of people, because let's just face it, I don't think you and I have five hours in one day to spend on going to a doctor's office or going to a clinic, right? Five hours of your day, that's kind of a lot. Uh, so, you know, you have to find that happy balance where it's just enough time, but not too much and not too little. That could vary from person to person. And I think this is why the program and the system that we have created really works well in order to address all those individual needs. And I think it would be a valuable thing to kind of spread out. So, yeah. So first step one is just to continue to refine what we have and then copy and paste, I guess. You're coming up with sort of your own unique protocols for different indications around mental health versus chronic pain or some of those things around... Know, different dosing and duration of infusions and, and all of that. Is that what you're talking about? Or am I misunderstanding and you're, you're intending something else? It's that. And then also the other components of the program, you know, other integration groups, other support, other things that also come with that. But yes. I nerd out about the medicine with my friends all the time, but we don't necessarily have to go on some kind of deep dive here talking about any of that. But yeah, it sounds like you're also talking about holistic protocols like taking care of the whole person and the whole clinic and meeting them in their whole lives that's beautiful oh well, yeah i mean psychedelics are like that they're not just like here's a blood pressure pill or here's a prozac no it's not it's very different and i think that's why i was telling you earlier people try to apply the old business models to prozac to ketamine and to psychedelics and i just don't think it's they're going to be surprised. <laughs> Let's just say that. And I think they already are because there have been a couple of chains of clinics that have closed down recently because they, yeah, they were not doing well. Yeah, it's an interesting time to watch the market interaction with the medicine and trying to figure out what uh, the best way to meet everyone's needs in America is around providing these therapies. So man, those are beautiful intentions. Do you have any other intentions that you'd want to talk about? Like professional ones or? It's my podcast. It's your episode. You can talk about anything you want. Well, um, I just had a baby. So I guess my other intention would be. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. How long ago? Three and a half months. Oh my goodness. Still a house plant. Water and light and, you know. (laughs) Yeah, he's still a little little guy. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. That's amazing. Is that, the, is that your first? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You're amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. Might be my last two because I was a geriatric mother. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah. <laughs> that always makes me laugh whenever geriatric somebody says pregnancy. that, that's, you know, as young as you are, but yeah, technically sure. By the book, you're a geriatric mom, right? Clean out the cobwebs. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So you got a little guy. Oh, sweet. So I guess my other intention is just to, you know, kind of bring up this young human um, so that he, I don't know, fits in, is normal, but, you know, can think critically and is just a good human. So yeah, that's my other intention, I guess, on a personal level. Yeah. Well, thank you for 
uh, you know, sharing about that. I won't go down a rabbit trail around any of like the, the parenthood sorts of things, but like, it's my opinion that we should pass some kind of legislation where like, if you see someone with a young child, you should either be required to give them a dollar or just ask them if they need help with something. Or if you can't do either of those things, just just leave them alone and get out of the way. It's just such a an important neurodevelopmentally vulnerable time for everybody in the whole family system. And as a society, we need to like start coming around people in the chapter of life that you're in in a much better way than we are currently. I, the answers there are way above my pay grade, but the, st- the work that you're doing there, that's the most important stuff on the planet. I love psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, but I mean, being a parent. Yeah. God, it's it's a mystery. It's it's kind of fun though. I'm taking it in strides. It's kind of fun. I I have to say, it's like uh, you get to train this little human, and however well you train yeah. him, it come you know at the end we'll all know, you know. <laughs> so that's kind yeah, of it's kind of like part. you don't see the result until the end. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like the arrows launched, but you can still kind of adjust slightly yeah. the trajectory now, right? <laughs> Nudge it to the left and the right a little bit, but it's already, right. it's already launched, right? It's out of the boat. <laughs> it's his own little person now. Exactly. Oh, that's amazing. I'm glad, I'm glad you're having fun with it too. Yeah, it that's was. a beautiful thing. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of, you know, everyone always tells you their, their t- terror stories, right? Um, so... It's been nice to kind of just roll with the punches a little bit. I think we're doing well. We're getting enough sleep. Guys yeah. sleeping through the night. I mean, what else can you ask? Yeah. Well, yeah. What can you ask for if you're getting to sleep yeah. that soon? It's a dream come true. Yeah. Cool. So again, you've, you've kind of anticipated the next question to some degree. You're very good at this. My next you know, question three is what are you grateful for? <laughs> Are there other things beyond the little dude uh, that you're grateful <laughs> oh, for? Oh, gosh, of course. There's lots of things I'm grateful for. I mean, I'm grateful that I was brave enough to take this little leap of faith and create something that I really enjoy growing and going to work. I'm really grateful for uh, my parents because they're very supportive and they help with other aspects of our lives, like take care of the little man occasionally or, you know, always lots of advice from them. So, and then I'm also grateful for my significant other because he's been really, I mean, he's been really, really supportive and very encouraging. So, you know, with any business, uh, there's always ups and downs. I call them the waves of the ocean. And, uh, you know, when you're on the trough of the wave, it can get a bit disparaging. And then you start having these intrusive thoughts like, okay, am I doing the right thing? Should I have just go back to the hospital? <laughs> but yeah, I think him being there and always being positive about everything, uh, I think it helps me like move past those periods and then we're all good again. So it's, yeah. So with your whole story and all of the intentions that you've set and the gratefulness that you're carrying, what are you creating? Well, I think I'm creating what everybody else is trying to create, which is to have a life that they enjoy. And to hopefully live every day to the fullest and try new things and explore new areas. And yeah, so I think that's my final answer. (laughs) (laughs) Accepted. You're a winner. So that brings us around to the last question. 
Just a sort of an identity question. <laughs> Who are you really, Dr. <laughs> Sophia Piva? Let me go back to philosophy 101. Okay, so first of all, I want to preface this with like most doctors and people in the medical field, and correct me if I'm wrong, most of us are like type A and we're very like, you know, by the book, we have our lists, you know, we're, we're like accomplishers, you know, we, we're very astute. <laughs> Going back to the, to the psychology class. So what happened with me is I, I thought I graduated from college and I had my parents there and I walked through the stage. And then a few months later, I went back to pick up my diploma. And at the diploma office, the lady told me like, oh, no, it looks like you never graduated because you forgot to take this one requirement. And this one requirement was a philosophy class. My parents, like everyone thought I had graduated. I had gotten a job <laughs> with my new credentials. And now you're uh, having an existential crisis over right. a philosophy and class. And now how am I going to tell my parents that I didn't actually graduate? Like this is going to be the most embarrassing thing. So what I do is I go behind their back and I find some community class you know, I could translate over to my college so they would give me my diploma. So I'm doing this online, you know, I'm doing this philosophy class. And these are the kind of questions that they were hitting me with, you know, who are you really? Every time I think of, like, so when I read this question, I really, that's what it took me back to the time when I uh, didn't graduate from college, but uh, I walked on the stage and took a diploma from the team <laughs> you, were, you were like a poser you hadn't checked the philosophy block yeah. but you, you wore that cap and gown and walked across the right. stage it's funny like i did the exact same thing but it was an art class the exact same thing happened to me yeah. and i had to go back and take three credits of art yeah, to get my exactly. first bachelor's degree that's crazy i feel like if i had never gotten back to get my diploma i would have probably thought I had graduated and eventually, of course, when I applied to medical school, they would have been like, um, I think there's a problem here. You took the philosophy class and you passed. So now you know who you really are. Or? Um, who am I really? I don't. That's that's a very, um, <laughs> very broad question, really. I think I'm somebody who cares a lot, but is also not afraid to take care of business and do what has to be done in order to move forward or to survive, if you will. Also, I think I'm somebody who has gotten so many rejections throughout my life that I really roll through rejections and I keep moving forward. Uh, so I think that is also very helpful because, you know, that's how we learn. We learn from our mistakes and that's how we grow. So if you're never making mistakes, are you really growing as a human, as a person? So, yeah, I think that's that's a wrap for me on who I am. Yeah, you're clearly a very strong person. Do you have any final thoughts for our audience? Always put value on the things that improve your quality of life. That's it. Those are my thoughts for everyone. Final, final answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, I appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for the invite. It was really fun to spend some time with you today. Yeah, this was a great time. Doc out.